So I'm going to, I haven't seen a lot of people come up and argue against the topic that they were meant to talk about or against the cause that they were meant to talk about. So I'm going to uh, have a go at still manning the, uh, yeah, the, the case against uh, movement growth, which is a little bit strange because I've spent the last few years working mostly on movement growth, and I'm still working at a movement growth organization. Um, and indeed, like, my overall view is very positive towards movement growth. But I think that we should take seriously the arguments against it and consider the potential risks and how we could do better. Um, and so I'm going to be offering considerations, but don't go out, please don't go out and say Rob is against movement growth. I'm sure I hear that on the grapevine, but um, yeah, it would be best if you didn't. I'm going to be drawing a lot on Owen Cotton Barrett's uh, paper, uh, How Valuable is Movement Growth, uh, which you can just Google, and if you uh, haven't, haven't read it already, you probably should. So first, I just wanted to draw a distinction between two different uh, things that we could talk about when we talk about growth. One would be how quickly are we growing uh, now, so as a percentage, like how many, more, how many more EAs will there be in a year's time relative to now? The other is, how big will we eventually get, which I'm going to call our plateau. So most movements, you know, they, they grow, they go through a, a big growth phase, and then they kind of level off. Possibly they decline if they become uh, less relevant. Um, so there's, it could be that faster growth is better, but we want a smaller plateau or the reverse. Um, the, these two things are conceptually distinct. And if you speed up the growth rate, uh, you get this, this kind of area there. You might recognize it from the astronomical waste argument, uh, although I won't go in and explain it that much. On the other hand, if you, explain the, if you expand the target plateau, then you get uh, kind of a horizontal bar uh, at the top uh, in terms of like how many extra um, person uh, you know, years you get involved in the effective altruism movement. So what changes these things? So the work that we're doing today both changes uh, the growth rate uh, and also changes the potential plateau level that we reach. Um, and the growth rate itself, uh, kind of outside of our control, uh, it's endogenously changes the, the message that we're sending uh, and thereby changes the plateau that we're likely to reach. Uh, so the growth rate yeah, has, has its own, uh, you know, creates its own effects. I also want to draw a distinction between growth, which I'm going to think of getting as more people in the door, getting more people to know something about effective altruism, and consolidation, which is like getting them up to the frontier of knowledge, uh, kind of putting a first step on the, on the stairs and then like consolidation is getting up to the top. To the, to the point that, um, uh, where you understand uh, you know, as, as well as anyone does. So first I'll talk about some downsides of rapid growth. So it seems like at the moment we're experiencing very rapid growth. So uh, there's been a big push this year. We've had these books come out. Uh, we've, we're running these events. There's been a lot of media coverage. And about half of EA orgs seem to be working on movement building or movement growth in some form. And now it seems like the momentum, like, the, the growth has its own momentum, uh, someone outside of the control of the people in this room. Um, and kind of an update for me over uh, the last year has been that I, I now suspect that most people in the target audience, most of the people who will be most receptive to effective altruism, are eventually going to uh, hear about it, which I definitely wasn't confident about a year or two ago. At the same time, uh, the, the level of depth of knowledge, so the typical depth of knowledge, is probably uh, somewhat uh, lower uh, than it was before, or at least it isn't rising very much. So the, the human capital and like, the potential of new people who are getting involved is uh, perhaps higher than ever. Uh, but new people inevitably know less and have less familiarity and experience. And an indication of this is that some of the presentations uh, here are very similar to what they were two years ago when it was a conference of just 50 people. And indeed, some are even more introductory uh, than, than they were at that time. Um, so I think of EA Global basically as being a consolidation event. So we're bringing people up to the frontier of knowledge. But uh, in doing that, we're somewhat sacrificing the potential progress that we could be making at the frontier. So the most thorny issues kind of get one slide, and then you, know, you move on. Um, they're not really discussed in a really in-depth manner. So this isn't so much a research conference. Um, and uh, in, if we were to perpetually have high turnover or high growth forever, then we'd always be doing these introductions, uh, and we would lack the potential to, to make progress at the, at the frontier at the same rate. 
So we've also gotten an awful lot of mass media attention uh, this year. Uh, this has resulted to some extent in, effect, in the message of effective altruism getting garbled. So a lot of stories will paint effective altruism as just earning to give or just randomized control trial-based charity, kind of give well classic, or just as poverty or, or just as animals or just x-risk or only those three and nothing more or as being non-systemic approaches. All things that I think are not accurate or at least don't, don't paint uh, the full picture. Um, and I think that it's possible, it's imaginable that uh, the message could become permanently garbled. So let's say uh, EA were to grow tenfold in a week, but all of the new people who were involved thought that effective altruism was just earning to give. Now, it's kind of the case that effective altruism at that point in ordinary speech uh, would mean earning to give, uh, which isn't something that we would terribly want. And it could become very hard then to change the brand uh, because all of those people will go out and the 90% of people who now think that it's earning to give will go out and tell their friends that it's earning to give. There'll be a lot of momentum behind that idea. On the other hand, I think that this probably won't happen uh, because each of the like, component ideas is all kind of pointing in the same direction of doing the most good. Earning to give doesn't make sense as a completely isolated idea. So hopefully people would eventually encounter the other ideas and come around. Uh, the other reason I don't think that this is likely to happen overall is that there's been a bit of an effort to codify the idea as a whole, and, and the books this year are very helpful in that respect. Uh, Doing Good Better, I think, covers a reasonably wide range so people won't get locked on to just one small component of it. Uh, and we also made whatiseffectivealtruism.com recently to try to give a brief, uh, I think, 1,500-word introduction and uh, debunk many of the misconceptions that are out there. And so that can be passed around very easily. And there's a worry here that perhaps because we've had to codify things, we're codifying the wrong things. Uh, but that, that's not what I'm going to cover here. And hopefully, hopefully that's not the case, so we've left things flexible enough that we can correct them. So another possible risk is uh, idea dilution. So at the moment, the community sets a pretty high standard, uh, not, not, a, not an extremely high standard, but a pretty high standard for having to justify that your plans are potentially the best plans or a, or a very high impact. But there's a risk if we were to grow incredibly quickly that um, effective altruism could come to mean kind of any charity that isn't obviously really silly or do any plan to improve the world that isn't really uh, ineffective uh, like, you know, at, at, first, at a first pass. And so the community as a whole would stop focusing on the best approaches, and people would stop feeling any pressure from their peers to kind of change approach to, to be more impactful. And fortunately, I'm very happy to see that effective altruism is kind of cool at the moment, but as a result, uh, we risk over-applying it, or you know, people out there who only know a little bit about it uh, risk over-applying it to things that maybe we wouldn't think qualify. And I really think that this, this, this is a possible risk, especially if we grow very quickly. But dilution isn't the end of the world. Um, even if EA did, became kind of a, uh, did become a meaningless buzzword, there'd be some loss and confusion from all of that. Um, but you know, we all know one another. We could switch to a new term. We could go again from a higher base. Uh, this, isn't, this isn't like, <laughs> this, isn't the, uh, this isn't a totally fatal, fatal mistake. I didn't mean for that to be a joke, but. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. So something that I am more concerned about, though, is the risk to our reputation from... Sorry? Uh, so something, something that I am worried about is the potential risk to our reputation from growing very quickly. So it, if you get a whole lot of new people on board, you don't have the gradual uh, filtering process that allows you to get rid of uh, jerks, people who could do terrible things, like possibly even commit crimes, say, uh, and in the process could you know, damage the reputation of, of all of us. And it only really takes quite a small number of people to do something uh, bad. Uh, to, to damage the, uh, the whole idea of effective altruism by association. There's also the possibility that the culture could become just permanently self-limiting. So there's certainly been a concern that the experience of some people in the EA movement uh, isn't so positive. Perhaps it's alienating to uh, some women or minorities or just unpleasantly aggressive so people aren't having a good time. 
And once, once it becomes like extreme in any of these dimensions, it can be very hard to change because you know, if you have an unfriendly friendly culture, the friendly people leave. Now, how do you change it? Like it's very hard to get friendly people on board or to convince people to change how they interact. So that's something that uh, CEA has been putting quite a lot of thought and effort into this year. We might also just grow really quickly and then run uh, bad events. Fortunately, we haven't. Uh, or support a really stupid project and then damage the reputation because we're no longer seen as terribly effective or thoughtful. Uh, fortunately, I don't see too many signs of that so far. We might also poison the well. So you can imagine um, someone could go out and talk to a billionaire, but they don't know about it. They don't know a lot about effective altruism. They don't yet know how to present the ideas, how to, you know, what, what goes first, what goes second, what goes third. And they could create a bad impression. And then someone who could have been on board and donated a huge amount of money to effective altruist projects never does because you made a bad impression. This is a risk, but I haven't seen too many signs of this so far. So what about the downsides of having a really uh, high plateau, of uh, becoming very large uh, in the end? So EA, there's a huge range of scales that we could eventually reach. Is EA at maturity going to have 100,000 people or a million people or 10 million people or 100 million people? I think all of these are imaginable scenarios. And none of them are outside the realm of plausibility. Now, effective altruism uh, tends to be uh, most interesting to people who are very privileged, like me, who have that, who, whose lives are so good that they can spend, they have a lot of surplus, a lot of time to spend thinking uh, about how they can help other people rather than just themselves and their family. So let's say that like, the, the people who could plausibly get really into EA are probably the one billion uh, you know, wealthiest people in the world, are people who have it the best. Now, there's a, a wide range of different inclinations to become involved in effective altruism. So you've got kind of this normal distribution for that billion. Uh, and most of the people here would be three or four standard deviations out in terms of how enthusiastic they are about effective altruism because they are the early adopters. Now, uh, when you're out in the tail at the top like that, um, a relatively small change in, uh, say, how extreme the idea is or how many ideas you have to buy into to get involved can, can dramatically change as a percentage the number of people who would be interested in getting involved. So you have this intensity versus size trade-off, and you have this very strong temptation to kind of cut some of the ideas from effective altruism, particularly the weird ones, in order to significantly drive up interest. And there's, there's obviously pressures to do that all the time. Now, I have a conjecture. Um, I'm definitely not sure about it, but you know, it's, it's a plausible idea that the effectiveness of EAs is really quite fragile, uh, and that someone who only understands half of the ideas or has just got a bunch of fragmented conclusions but doesn't understand uh, the rationale for them is going to have much less impact than someone who understands uh, the full picture. So possible reasons that you might think this is like mathematically, it seems like the effectiveness of projects is a bunch of different parameters uh, multiplied together. Uh, and when, when that's the process that generates the outcome, you tend to have a log normal or power law distribution. Don't understand this. Uh, don't worry. It doesn't really matter. Uh, but the problem is like, if you have like, if any one of the terms is zero, then you kind of have zero total impact uh, on, on average. And it also means that the best things are much better than average things. So uh, like if, if you're like somewhat more likely to get out into the tail, then that is extremely valuable. And analogies might be that founding teams for startups seem to need uh, many traits in order to succeed. If, if they have lots of good qualities, but say they have terrible interpersonal dynamics, uh, it doesn't matter how good they are at building the product. If the team's going to fall apart, then they end up having, having no impact. And likewise, kind of a plane needs all of its parts. You don't get into a plane because you're like, this has 99% of the parts that are necessary for the plane to fly. It doesn't fly 99% of the way. It just crashes. And uh, there's another thing that I thought up, which is, uh, for my own amusement, I've called the crucial, crucial consideration consideration. And this is the idea that <laughs> uh, crucial considerations seem to often flip uh, what seems to be most important. And that, would, that means that the outcome is very fragile. If you, if you, maybe if you miss a single crucial consideration, kind of the last one, then maybe you lose the most of the value that you could ever do. 
And if that's the case, it seems like you really have to have people understand the whole picture. Otherwise, they're going to be making relatively poor decisions. Again, I'm not sure like, how, how strong this consideration is in the scheme of things. A lot of people would disagree with that. Uh, Holden, for example. But uh, yeah, it's something we should take into consideration. Now, what about declining returns? Is having 10 million people in the effective altruism movement anywhere near 10 times as valuable as having 1 million? I think probably uh, it's nowhere near uh, 10 times as valuable. Maybe it's two or three times as valuable, uh, holding everything else equal. Because EAs are going for the most important, tractable ideas that others are neglecting. Um, and so how many like, amazing opportunities uh, are there of that kind at any particular moment? How many people do we need to, to take them all? Or to take at least the, the most low-hanging fruit, the most valuable things? Maybe it's the case that uh, one million uh, is basically uh, enough uh, to do most of the valuable things. And then like, the, you know, once you get to 10 million, you're, you're kind of back to doing things that are no better than what anyone else was doing anyway. And yeah, I'm not sure how true this is. Um, I think it's uh, most plausible if you think that we can predict ahead of time who are going to be the top researchers or politicians or entrepreneurs uh, or the most successful people and try to encourage them to be, to be more effective. If we can't predict that ahead of time, uh, then you get like, much more linear returns to having more people. There's a, there's a handful of other benefits from uh, being small. Obviously, we've just heard uh, you know, that there's huge benefits from being bigger, but what are some benefits from being small? Um, so we, if we stick with the people who are most dedicated and most get the idea, that then we're likely to have you know, people who are very involved and have a pretty low turnover rate. And reputation and trust networks work much better when you have kind of a small, stable, cohesive group with reputations over time and people know one another well. Another thing is that it seems with research in particular, you have to have a high average level of understanding in order to make progress. A single person in a research group who doesn't really understand uh, what's going on and is, and is confused can really hold back the entire group. So potentially quite a small group that, that you know, all has a very good idea could make uh, much more progress than a group that's twice as big but has a lower average understanding. So at least on the research side, perhaps a smaller group uh, could, could do fine. Another benefit of being small is that you might have less uh, conflict internally because the people are all going to be kind of in the early adopter crowd. So they're a bit more similar to one another. Um, but of course, in this, you lose the gains from diversity of having different perspectives and different, different expertise and different inclinations. Uh, but you do at least perhaps have more internal cohesion. If we're small and less visible, uh, then we're also likely to have less conflict uh, with other groups out there. Because if, if we get really big and start absorbing you know, a very large share of all people or of all of the resources in the world, um, then people who disagree with us uh, you know, want, want to really push back to defend their turf. Uh, but if we remain small, then there's less motivation to, say, come out and, and smear and attack us. Uh, a small group of people who are really uh, dedicated and involved, probably somewhat also more flexible than, than a larger group. So 100 people working full-time together in the same building, if they hear a really good argument, they can potentially change their strategy uh, really quickly. If you, but what if there's also 10,000 other people uh, mixed in who have uh, you know, some interest, but you know, they don't pay that much attention? It's harder to bring them along and explain to them why you should dramatically change the strategy. Uh, you're more likely to have a, a lot of inertia behind the movement if a, if a large share uh, of all of the people uh, have, have a lower level of interest or understanding. So crucial considerations in this area, I think, uh, if there's something incredibly urgent, if there's uh, a point that we have to get to soon, for example, if uh, artificial intelligence, really strong artificial intelligence, we knew just somehow was going to arrive in 10 years' time, then I think you'd probably want to grow really quickly because there's, there's, no, there's not a long term to, in which you can harvest uh, the benefits of having a, a higher plateau. Um, and also, I think if trajectory change, so existential risk, trying to change the long-term future, uh, is by far the best cause area if you believe that, then um, that suggests that the things that we should be working on uh, have low tractability. 
changing the long-term future, uh, knowing uh, you know, where, where to lean to have those effects, there's poor feedback. And uh, so it's, just, it, it's something that historically we don't see a lot of groups succeeding at doing, uh, thinking, you know, how am I going to change the world in 50 or 100 years? And when you're trying to do something that's extremely difficult that no one else has ever done before, I think there's a particular premium for having you know, a small number of extremely dedicated and talented people over a larger number uh, of people who uh, perhaps are less, less focused or know less what they're doing. So if trajectory change is the best cause, probably go for a smaller, smaller movement, or that, that seems more acceptable. Now, what's my overall view? Um, I think probably over the next 12 months, we should uh, pivot somewhat towards consolidation uh, over growth, because growth is kind of, is, seems to be taking care of itself, but consolidation uh, less so. I think uh, a movement that's 20% as large might have 80% of the impact of you know, a larger uh, potential movement. But I'm not so sure about that. It's, it's at least, but it's something worth considering. Uh, however, I think layering the movement kind of gets us the best of both worlds. So if you have a very uh, large uh, social movement, but you have private conferences, say, for researchers who are working on a particular special interest area uh, where they really need to get together and talk to one another each year. Um, it, yeah, if you have those layers uh, to, to, the, to the onion of the movement, um, then I think you can probably get the best of having both scale uh, and expertise. But I do think that we shouldn't cut out the essential ideas like trying to focus on the best and uh, being cause neutral. Because uh, I think cutting those out would destroy a lot of the potential uh, of the effective altruism movement, even if it would get more people involved in something um, perhaps uh, less serious or a more diluted version. Thanks so much.